Uh, Cedar Street Baptist Church, once again, I love you very, very much, and it's the joy of my heart to be with you here this morning, and I know we have many special guests in here this morning for a very special family, and for that we say thank you for coming. You bless us with your presence, and I pray you'll be blessed by the preaching of the Word of God here this morning as well. I want to say a a quick word uh, before we dive into the message. I believe in what is called expository preaching, which means when I preach the Word of God, typically I start in a book on chapter 1, verse 1, and I go verse by verse, week by week, all the way through the book. And what happens when I do that is I let God speak. And I'm just going to say this this morning. I don't think that if you handed a Bible to me and said, I want you to preach a passage that addresses what the people in this church are going through right now, I don't think I could have picked a better verse than the the passage that we're going to be looking at in 1 Peter. But I want to say to you in all honesty, I did not choose this text. God did. God did. Because we're in 1 Peter, and this is our third message in 1 Peter. And we're in a sermon series entitled, Set Apart. And we've said so far that the book of 1 Peter tells us that we're called to be set apart as believers in Jesus Christ. And we're set apart from our salvation to our holiness to our suffering, to our hope, to our values, our priorities, and our perseverance in the Christian faith. If we truly have Jesus Christ in our heart, even in a place like Metter, Georgia, that we call the Bible Belt, we're going to be set apart from those that either don't know Jesus or say that they know Him, but don't live for Him. That's what it means to be set apart. And the title of our message here this morning is Genuine Faith genuine faith. We're going to be in chapter 1 looking at verses 6 through 9. And as I, I prayed about this, this, this message and, and was spending time with the Lord, I was reminded of something that was told to me a couple of years ago. So I've been uh, in ministry of some kind for about nine years. I've been the senior pastor here for three. Uh, but I remember when I was at seminary, right before I came back to be the senior pastor here, I was uh, watching a conference online of pastors talking about things they wish they knew when they first became pastor. And this one guy said something I'll never forget. He said, what I wish I knew was how much the people in my congregation would surprise me. And the one guy said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, when I first became pastor... I thought I knew who the leaders of the church were going to be, and some of them, who I had such high hopes for, walked away from the church for some of the silliest things. He said, but there are other people that I unfortunately had a lower opinion of that I didn't think would amount to much, and they've become the prominent leaders of the church. And I'll say this, I've been here three years. Uh, Cedar Street does not completely surprise me. Because I was a member here before I became the youth pastor, before I became the senior pastor. So I've been here 10 years and I feel like I know the people of this church and this community very well. But I still have been surprised. In just the three years that I've been the pastor, there have been people who I've seen walk away from this church for some of the silliest reasons. And I've seen people that I thought would never step up to the plate who've been so amazing and brought such glory to God that I have to stand in awe and say I had no idea they had that much Jesus inside of them. And that's what we're going to talk about here today, genuine faith. And Peter pulls no punches in this passage. This is going to hit some of us very hard today. All right, but if someone's stepping on your toes, it ain't the preacher, I promise you. All right, so 
What's our big idea? What do I want us to know in one sentence before we walk into 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9? Here it is in a short, brief statement. Genuine faith in Jesus Christ is set apart through the testimony of our trials. Let me say it again. Genuine faith in Jesus Christ is set apart through the testimony of our trials. So, if you have a Bible, please join me in the book of 1 Peter. Again, we'll be in chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. If you don't have a Bible, grab the Pew Bible in front of you. We'll be on page 1203 in your Pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and fully sufficient word, we are in 1 Peter chapter 1, and I will be reading verses 6 through 9. Hear God's word to us starting in verse number 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Again, we thank you and praise you for the day that you have made. And Lord, I don't have to look far to see where you're at work. You are sovereign and in control well beyond my understanding and so this morning father i just pray that you would have your way with us i pray your precious holy spirit would open eyes and hearts i pray that you would be glorified in the preaching of the word and i pray that those right now who are facing the fire would enable you to reveal what is genuinely in their hearts faith in jesus christ is what we pray for And so, Lord, we just pray that through our faith that you be glorified and through the preaching of the word that your name would be made great. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I know there are many joining us here this morning that haven't been here the last couple of weeks as we started the sermon series. So let me just say very briefly, the book of 1 Peter is written by the Apostle Peter, and he's writing to what he calls the elect exiles, which means people who've come to faith in Jesus Christ. Some of them were Gentiles who came to faith, and some of them were Jews who came to faith, and they've been dispersed all over Jerusalem and all over Palestine, and they're starting to get persecuted for their faith. All right, Their faith is coming under fire. Some of them even put their life in danger to proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's writing this letter to tell them, hey, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised that you've been called out. Don't be surprised that you've been set apart. Don't be surprised that you're being persecuted. Respond in the way that God would have you to respond to show what is really in your heart. More so, who is really in your heart. And so we talked already in this series about uh, hope and how it is that the great joy of our life is rooted in an eternal hope that Satan cannot touch and the world cannot touch, that it's imperishable, it's unfading, it's eternal. Now we're going to talk about the trials that we're facing on this side of heaven. And here's the deal. As I look in a room of maybe 200 plus people, I'll say this. I don't have to guess. Every single one of you is facing trials. Every single one. For some of you, it's physical. 
For some of you, it is emotional. For some of you, it is spiritual. For some of you, it's family. For some of you, it's financial. I don't know what it is, but here's what I do know. We, we serve a good God in a broken world. And it wasn't broken by God, it was broken by us. And ever since our ancestors, Adam and Eve, did what they were not supposed to do, we have lived in brokenness. And because of that, you can't avoid trials. You can't. None of you will ever escape this world saying you're, that you're, you're, your faith and your life were not put to the test. Because they are and they will be. But the question is, when you are put to the fire, what is going to be revealed? And what Peter tells us is this, it is under fire that we're going to find out who are the goats and who are the sheep. All right, the goats are non-believers who sometimes mingle with believers. In every single church, this one included, you have sheep and you have goats. You have those who say they believe in Jesus and they really do. And you have others who say they believe in Jesus and they really don't. They may even think that they do. But when, when they come under fire... They walk away from the church because we find out that they're not truly sheep. They're merely goats who were spending time with sheep. And there's no other way to tell other than being put under the fire. So I want to encourage all of you and challenge you at the same time as we look at this passage. Here's the encouragement. You're not going through anything else that any other human being has not experienced in some way. Our trials are different, but we all suffer with the human condition. So the encouragement is all of us know what it is to go through trials. Here's the challenge. What is it revealing about your life right now? And what is it revealing about who is truly the king on the throne of your heart? That's what Peter's talking about as we walk through the passage. And so I want to look at three stages of evidence that reveal genuine faith in Jesus Christ according to this passage. And here's the first. Number one, let's look at the evaluation of genuine faith. Looking at verses 6 through 7 again, Peter says to us, In this you rejoice... Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by many trials, various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, there's an interesting word at the beginning of verse 6 after it says, uh, Though now for a while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. All right, when you're going through a trial, does it seem like it's a short while or does it seem like it's a long while? All right, there's something about our trials that seem like they last forever. But Peter's constantly forcing us through the Holy Spirit to see our life in the scope of all of eternity. The Bible says that the greatest trials that we face, whether it's death, disease, and separation, are momentary light afflictions compared to the glory that it will be revealed in all of eternity. No matter how bad things get, it's, it's not even a blimp on the radar of all of eternity filled with joy when we get to be with the Lord Jesus Christ and His kingdom. And so that's why Peter's reminding the exiles, and he's reminding us today, if you're going through a trial, you should see it as something you're experiencing for a little while. It may not feel that way, but in the scope of eternity, that's exactly what it is. And here's the deal. Yes, you must be tested. Genuine faith must be tested. We know this not only about being a Christian, we just know this about life in general. I want you to think about the last 30 days in Candler County. All right, students who finished the school year had to be tested to see what they truly know. All right, for those of you that enjoy camping, we've got a great camping crowd here at Cedar Street Baptist Church. If you bought an SUV that can tow a camper 
It's going to be tested when you take it on the road. All right, and as Kevin Davis could probably tell you, if, uh, if you live in Candler County in the last 30 days, your HVAC unit's going to be tested to see if there's any Freon left in it. All right, especially the last week when we stared at three digits day after day after day over 100 degrees. Basically, whatever it is that you have or whatever it is that you do, it must be tested to prove that it's true. It must be tested. Every single one of us, those of you in the workforce, you're constantly getting employee evaluations. If you're a business owner and you're not being evaluated by employees, you're being evaluated by your customers every day. Who you are, what you do will always be tested. And when it comes to our faith, it's exactly the same way. And I've said this week after week after week, and I know that might sound like a broken record, but this is what I hate about the television preachers who preach the prosperity gospel. The books that you're buying and the sermons that you listen to on TV tell you that the reason you're going through a trial is because you don't have enough faith. But if you have enough faith, you're a child of the Most High God. And so you're not sick, you're getting well. You're not broke, you're getting rich because you love Jesus. And Peter's saying that's a bunch of bunk. Peter's saying, no, because you have faith, it has to be tested. And sometimes that test will be severe. But if you go through it, you're going to reveal what's already inside. You're going to reveal if Jesus was with you and you're a sheep or if you just said the name of Jesus and he doesn't know you from Adam and you're a goat. It has to be tested by trials. You know, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible is John chapter 15. And the reason why is John 15, 5 is my life verse. I, I pray this almost every day. John 15, 5, Jesus is looking at the disciples before he begins to walk that Calvary road, and he says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he it is that will bear much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. That tells me every day that any fruit that I bear for the kingdom, anything I do that glorifies God, if it truly glorifies God, it didn't come in my own strength. It came in me surrendering to Jesus so that he could live his life through me. Now, what's equally as important is what comes before that in the same passage. In, in John 15, verses 1 through 2, here's what Jesus says before he gets to my life verse. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Guess what he says? You're going to be purged or you're going to be pruned. If you're a non-believer, you're going to go through a trial and it's going to lead, lead you to leave the church. You're going to abandon Jesus. All right? Or if you are a Christian, you're going to go through testing and be pruned and through that glorify him. And it's going to strengthen your faith. And you're going to be stronger in Jesus than you were before. But the fact of the matter is, whether you're purged or pruned, whether you're a goat or a sheep, you ain't going to avoid it. You're going to face the fire. And when you do, the truth will come out. Again, another thing I, I thought of before I joined, uh, came back to Cedar Street to be the pastor. Uh, most leaders in this church know I was scared to death to be a pastor because I know what's at stake. And I know how Satan loves to draw a big circle on the back of those who proclaim the gospel. And I remember these words from the great Charles Spurgeon, a preacher of the 1800s in England, who said, whenever God means to make a man great, he always breaks him in pieces first. When God wants to use you, he will break you into a million pieces so that he can rebuild you into the image of Christ. Because when you're broken, again, you're either going to leave him or you're going to fully surrender to him. 
And like the woman that was hemorrhaging for decades, you're going to cling to the hem of his garment and say, don't you leave my sight, Jesus. I need you like the air that I'm breathing right now. You know, when I think about trials, examples are everywhere. I want to give you some examples from the Bible, an example from church history, and if it's okay, maybe an example or two from some people in this room. Let me start with the Bible. In the popular passage in Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, we hear about these, these men who are off in exile in Babylon. Perhaps you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they refused to worship King Nebuchadnezzar. And they said, no, we're only going to worship the one true God. And they're getting ready to get thrown into a fiery furnace. All right, Not only are they facing a spiritual fire, they're facing a literal fire. All right, and here's what they say in verses 16 through 18. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But here's the key in verse 18. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They're standing right at a furnace of fire, life on the line. And they say, we will not worship a false god because we know who we belong to. And he can and he might deliver us out of the fire. But even if he doesn't, we're going to praise him and we're not going to praise you. You know what that is? Genuine faith. So that's the scriptures. What about church history after the resurrection of Christ? Well, I can think of one of a thousand stories. Perhaps many of you know the, word, the name Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford uh, was a Presbyterian man, and he lost in one shipwreck four daughters who drowned on the SS Villa de Havre on a transatlantic voyage. His wife was the only one that survived, and she sent him a telegram that said two words, and the telegram said, saved alone. One shipwreck lost four daughters. But guess what he does? He gets on a, he gets on a ship... And when he gets to the exact point where he was told by the crew that that's where his four daughters drowned, he pulled out something to write with and a piece of paper, and he wrote a hymn. And that hymn is called, It Is Well With My Soul. Perhaps you've heard the words. Perhaps you've heard the words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot... Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I want you to stop and think. He's looking at ocean water. And he's looking at four daughters that went down and did not come back up. And he says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. All right, whether you're in prosperity or you're in pain, you're in the sunshine or you're in the storm. He has learned to say, it is well with my soul, because his soul belonged to Jesus. Now, I'm going to pull up in your driveway here, talking about Candler County for a second. Let me start with a man that most of you know, named Bill Collins. Uh, Bill Collins, what a dear brother in Jesus Christ. There are many of you in this room that know him better than I do. All right, Bill Collins has basically buried almost his entire family. He's buried his children. He's buried his wife. He has a precious sister who looks after him. He's had multiple strokes. 
and I go and visit him about once a month. I know there are people in this church like Paula Tillman that keep closer tabs on him than I do. But every single time I go and be with Bill, he sits in the chair and he begins to share with me what he's been doing since I last saw him. And he's not putting up a front. He admits that he's in physical pain. He admits that he's getting depressed. But there comes a time in every conversation, and there's, there's a cadence to his voice when he says this. I mean, I, I, it's like a tape recorder in my head. He'll start, he'll start uh, getting real short with his breath, and he'll say, but, but God's been good to me. He says it all the time, but God has been so good to me. And I think about what that man has gone through. And that, that one trial after another keeps revealing that his heart truly belongs to Jesus. Another person I think of from the past year has been Linda Newham. Linda Newham had a, a brain tumor the size of an orange. And the first time I call her, I'm thinking, Lord, give me words of wisdom and words of grace that I could comfort this woman. She says to me on the phone, I just want a chance to tell as many people in that hospital room about Jesus that I can. She's got a brain tumor, and she says, all I want to do, all I want to do is, is God use this so that more people will come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's all I want. Yes, I can also think about Wednesday night at the Women's Pavilion in Statesboro. I mean, there's a thousand memories that go through my head. The whole left side of the church, I think, was there. Um, most of Candler County was there. But I want to share something, and Brother Eric, I pray you forgive me, brother, because I almost always ask permission on these things, and I didn't. But we're there Wednesday, and we're going through, and I'm just watching more and more people come and hug and pray, and, and we take a deep breath because we find out that Tess is okay, and now we're praying about the baby, and we don't know what's happening, and it's 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock and 11.30, and, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm watching, and I don't know what to say, and I'm just watching all these people, and we're praying, and, and I just want to comfort, and I... I I just felt the Holy Spirit say these words to me, Bo, wait for Eric. Wait for Eric. I knew I wasn't going to get a chance to see the baby. I didn't think I'd get to see Tess because I figured she'd be sedated and sleeping. But finally, close to midnight, I got snuck in there, and I'm just there, and I'm saying, Lord, give me the right words. Give me the right words. Give me the right words. And I walk into that hospital room, and Eric Woods looks right at me. And before I could get a word out of my mouth, he looks right at me, and he says, If this is what we're called to go through, this is nothing compared to what Jesus has done for me. I I could live to be 100 years old. I will never forget that moment. Can Can I say something? There are some people that we just don't know if they believe in Jesus. We don't. We have to squint. We have to try to go back and find out if they were baptized, which we know doesn't prove salvation, but then we have to find out if they were serving in a church somewhere. They have to find out if they know if they read the scriptures at all and if they, if they talk about Jesus at all. I, I don't have to guess if Eric Woods loves Jesus. I don't. I don't have to guess if, if the Fordhams and the Woods love Jesus. I don't have to guess because I'm watching one trial right now right in front of my face and what is being revealed is what's already down within. They love Jesus. And these things they're experiencing are not pushing them away from Jesus. It's making them cling to Him. Because that's what trials do. Uh, And there's so many untold stories in this room that you've gone through the same thing. Gone through the exact same thing. 
And you've either gone away from Jesus or you've gone closer to Him. Because that's what trials do. They test our faith. So that's the evaluation of genuine faith. Number two, let's look at the expression of genuine faith. Verse 8 says this, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Now this is written by Peter. Guess what? Peter saw Jesus. In fact, Peter and Jesus were th- went through an awful lot together in his three years of earthly ministry before Jesus went to be at the right hand of the Father. Uh, we've seen Peter at his best. We've seen Peter at his worst. And we can see a lot of ourselves in the Apostle Peter as well. But he's writing to those who he knows have not actually seen Jesus with their eyes. In fact, Jesus even said, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Guess who they are? They're us. We've not seen Jesus with our eyes in the flesh. All right? We've not actually hugged him and held him and kissed him and bowed at his feet. We will if we're truly Christian, but we haven't yet. But what he's saying is if he's already inside of you through the Holy Spirit, there's a way in which that's going to be expressed in your daily life. And it says you love him. You believe in him. You rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Here's the truth. The Bible tells us over and over and over, what's ever in our heart is eventually going to come out of our mouth. All right? If you don't believe me, listen to Jesus himself. Matthew 12, 34, he says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Proverbs 4, 23, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Most of you in this room know that I have a passion for sports. I was in sports casting professionally before my calling to ministry. I thought I'd be in it the rest of my life. But one thing I bring up often is this. Sports is one forum where we see a lot of people who put a foot in their mouth pretty quickly. They say something stupid on a press conference on Monday, and they come back on Wednesday apologizing. Some of them have a written statement from the team or the ownership, and they almost always say the same thing. What I said is not representative of who I truly am. And what I would say to them is, either you're right or Jesus is right because you're saying two different things. All right, now, all of us have moments of weakness where we say things we wish we don't say. My wife is not here this morning, but she has been the one to hear most of the things I wish I did not say. Uh, Your spouse knows it better than anybody else because they can push all your buttons, right? All right, but guess what? Nobody makes you say that. If it came out, it had to be in, all right? The reason athletes say stupid things is because they're stupid things that are resting in their hearts because they're sinners just like we are. It is impossible for you to say something outwardly that is not already inside of you. It's impossible, all right? So if you say something and do something, it's reflection of what's already inside of your heart. So when people talk about Jesus... And they're filled with joy. And it's, it's, it's inexpressible. And it's not dependent upon what they're going through in their life. It's proof that he lives in their soul. In fact, it's, it's proof that we have the Holy Spirit. Because it is through the Holy Spirit that Jesus can be dwelling in my heart and your heart at the same time. Sometimes people wonder, well, why did Jesus have to ascend to the Father after his resurrection? Well, because in a human physical body, he could have only been in one place at one time. We know this because in the Gospels, crowds would come on top of him and he'd have thousands of people clamoring for his attention. 
But when Jesus ascended to the Father, and as it says in Acts chapter 1, he sent down his Holy Spirit and the church was inaugurated. Now, through the Holy Spirit who indwells our hearts, Jesus can be present everywhere at the same time. And if you have him in your heart, praise for him is going to come out of your mouth. It's going to be natural as the air that you breathe. Now, there are some people, because of our personalities, that are more vocal than others, right? Some of us are extroverts, and some of us are introverts, and God has made us that way. So I'm not saying that if you're a Christian, you're on the front porch screaming the name of Jesus every single morning. You might be, but that's how you're wired. There are some faithful saints in this room who are quiet and, and very reverent, and so they're, they're, they're less charismatic in the way they express their love for Jesus. But make no mistake about it, they love Jesus, and you can tell because they express it in a way that is genuine, in a way that is genuine. And let me say another thing. Maybe this will be a word of comfort. Genuine faith in Jesus does not mean that we don't have doubts and frustrations. You know, my favorite book in the Bible by far is the book of Psalms. I read it every single day whenever I am reading the Bible, which is most days. And I read it because in 150 Psalms, it covers the full span of human emotions. All right, you hear King David praising God, and there are times that you hear him questioning God. And he's not really questioning God's goodness. What he's just saying is, how long, Lord? How long am I going to deal with this? Lord, help me. Don't, Don't you care? Help me. And that does not mean that, that, that David did not love God. In fact, he's known in history as a man after God's own heart. And even inspired of the Holy Spirit, he still had times of frustration. And he still had times of doubt. Jesus Christ himself, when he was on the cross, recited the words of Psalm 22. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, did Jesus say that because he was confused about why he was on the cross? No. Jesus knew why he came. He knew why he was on the cross. But he's on the cross crying out to the Father who has forsaken him and treated him as an object of sin for the salvation of our souls. And in the midst of that pain, Jesus just cries out and says, why? So let me encourage you for a minute. And let me even challenge you. If you're in a a trial and you're experiencing deep pain, the best thing that you can do in prayer is be honest with God. He already knows your heart. All right, if you're in inexpressible pain and you bow before God and you say, God, you're so good. This has been a great week. God's going to look at you and say, who are you talking to? I know what's in your heart. So why don't you let it come out of your mouth? There are days that, you know, and I don't want to say I'm irreverent, all right, because I still love him and know he's on the throne. But there are days that I cry out to God and I say, why, why did that have to happen? I, I, don't want to, I don't want to experience this, Lord. This is, this is more pain than I can take right now. But I want to say one last thing. If you look closely at the Psalms, almost every single one of them, some of them start with a lament or a complaint, but almost every single one of them end with a word of confidence that God is in control. And that's the difference. There are some people that question and get frustrated and bang on the chest of God, and when they're done, they don't say, but you're still God. They say, I'm done with you, God, and they walk away. Don't let that be you. It's okay to spend a season on your knees weeping. A lot of the godliest people in the Bible did the same thing. But don't let that lead you to bitterness where you question God's goodness and you walk away from the church. 
Let that be a time where you cling to him and say, God, I'm not right, but I want to be right. Right now, I'm not happy with you, but I want to have joy in you. Help me to get over this bitterness, Lord. And in his power, he will. In his power, he will. So we've looked at the evaluation of genuine faith, and we've looked at the uh, expression of genuine faith. Third and finally, as we look at verse 9, let's talk about the endurance of genuine faith. Verse 9 simply says this, Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter's talking about one thing at that last statement in verse 9. He's talking about what's called perseverance of the saints. What he's saying is those who are truly believers, even though they may stumble, even though they may fall, they're going to cross the finish line as believers. They're going to cross the finish line praising the same person that they praised when they first put the number on and entered into the Christian race. They're going to be praising Jesus. How do I know? I'll share a few passages with you. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says this, And I am sure of this, that He, meaning God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you have faith, it's because God has gifted you with faith. He's opened your eyes and removed your heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh. We said that in in the beginning of verse 1 where it talked about being born again to a living hope. And if He started that work in you, He's going to complete it. You need to be faithful and repent and follow him, but he will complete it. Another is John chapter 10, verses 27 through 28. It says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and not one will snatch them out of my hand. And then Matthew 24, 11 through 13 talks about end times. Jesus says, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. How do you know you're a Christian? Well, we said at the very beginning, it's because you're, you're tested and tried, and that reveals who your heart belongs to, which is Jesus. Then we look at the expression. All right, You express that your love is Jesus Christ above everything else. And then the final part right here is the endurance. How do I know you love Jesus? Because in your final breath, you're going to be praising him just like you were the day that you proclaimed to get saved. The true saints will persevere to the end. And for those who are not true saints, their false faith is a lot like Alka-Seltzer. I remember the great Adrian Rogers had this uh, interesting phrase. He was very good with words. Adrian Rogers said, A faith that fizzles before the finish had a flaw from the first. Uh, a faith that fizzles before the finish had a flaw from the first. What he's basically saying is they had a faith that's a lot like an Alka-Seltzer tablet. You dropped it in, and at the very beginning, it made a lot of noise. And it made a lot of visuals. But give it enough time, and it will just settle to the very bottom and evaporate. Because it's not real. It's not real. That's maybe the hardest thing about being a pastor. I'm going to be honest with you. And I know there are many of you visiting from other churches. I have very close friendships with almost every pastor in this community. Uh, I believe we're in a, a great time in Candler County. All right, whether you're a Methodist under the leadership of Alan Kaysen or at First Baptist with Tom Osborne or Bill Van Sant at, at New Life or Zach Key at the Church of God, I'm telling you right now, there's some great men of God and all of us battle the same problems. One of the things that we battle is this. There are, there are people that claim to know Jesus, 
that claim to love Jesus, but the first time they're offended or challenged even in a little way, they go running in the other direction. I mean, in the same church, people who are facing or looking at family members facing the brink of death, and they said, this is nothing compared to what Jesus is doing, versus other people that leave because someone didn't shake their hand or someone didn't make a fuss over them or we cut down the wrong tree in the front yard. Silly, but, but, but that's what happens. And, and I'm saying this out of love. The reason that it happens is because most people are not saved. And I grieve over that. There are many of you in this room who've been saying the name of Jesus since grade school, but you're lost. And you know the proof that you're lost? You're not faithful to your church. You're not faithful to Jesus. Your Bible's got a whole lot of dust on it. Your thought is, I'll get to it someday. But right now, I got real life issues. Whereas true Christians, when they have real life issues, where do they go? They go to Jesus. Because he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I'm not saying this to offend anyone. I'm saying this that you will have a real check in your heart. If you say you're a Christian and you don't belong to a local church, you and God are not okay. You're not, on a pl- you're not on plan B. You don't get to rewrite the Bible. The church is God's plan A and there is no plan B. Now, I'm not talking about those who are not physically able to come to a local church. I'm talking about people who willfully get up on Sundays and do other things and don't even have any guilt over it. And the reason why is you have no conviction because you don't have the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, believe on me and be saved. Trust in me and be saved. Surrender your life to me and be saved. How do you know you're saved? Well, what trial are you facing and how are you responding? He's telling us how we can know. Who are you turning to? Are you turning to Jesus or are you turning in another direction? I tell you this in love because it is my heart the way it is the heart of God that everyone in this room would be saved. It is not his will that any should perish, but all come to a knowledge of the truth. That's not my word, that's God's. So check your hearts today. As we, as we get ready, I just want to sum this up as we get ready to enter into a time of invitation. In one sentence, I just want to sum it up by saying this. Genuine faith in Christ can only be sustained by Christ and will always result in the glory of Christ. Let me say it again. Genuine faith in Christ can only be sustained by Christ and will always result in the glory of Christ. So what do I mean by that? The Christian faith, as the Bible explains it, it's impossible to live in your own strength. You can't be a good Christian just by being you. You can only do it by surrendering to Jesus Christ. He says, I am the vine you are the branches. If you abide, which means you remain, you lean into Jesus every day, you'll bear fruit. Apart from him, you can't do anything. And you say, well, what do you mean by that, Bo? I do good things. You may do good things, but you'll never do anything that truly brings glory to God because God wasn't a part of it. You did it in your own strength. And so if you're in a trial and you don't know what, where you're going to go or what you're going to do or how you're going to get through the next day, let me encourage you. God enabled that to happen so that you would stop trusting in your own strength and trust in Him. One of the silliest phrases I've ever heard, and I'm going to tell you that I said it myself years ago, so if you've said it before, I'm not picking on you, I've said it myself, but it's totally unbiblical. Have you ever heard the words, God won't give you more than you can handle? False. 
God will purposely, over and over and over again, give you more than you can handle. Because if you could handle it yourself, you wouldn't need Him. And you'd be the God of your own life. And God wants you to dethrone yourself and put Jesus on the throne. That's what He wants. All right, so if you're, if you're experiencing something and you're saying, why? The answer is, God wants you to get to the end of yourself that you could get to the beginning of Him. That you could abide in the vine and bear the fruit. That's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus in my place. He lived the life that we should have lived, earning our righteousness. He died the death that we deserve, taking on our punishment. He rose from the dead, making a way from death to life. He ascended to the Father, sending down His Holy Spirit. And He's coming again one day to make all things new. And for those who truly are in Him, you're going to get a new body, and you're going to live on a new earth, and you're going to live for all of eternity with no more death, disease, pain, or struggle. But for those of you who do not belong to Him, this is the best you're ever going to experience because you'll be separated from God forever because Jesus is the only lifeboat that's coming. And he's giving us a chance. So I want to say two things. One, we're entering into a time of invitation. This is an opportunity if you do not know Jesus Christ, or maybe you think you do, but today's making you think through some things. This is a chance that you can either come forward or even in the pew where you're sitting. You can bow your head and close your eyes and you can call out to God and say, Jesus, I know my life does not belong to you. I've been deceived for a long time, but I want every part of me to belong to you right now. Forgive me and help me. And if you are a Christian, and some of you are genuine Christians who maybe have gone wayward for a season, okay, it won't happen for a lifetime. A genuine Christian always finds their way back because they have the Spirit of God living inside of him. But if you're a genuine Christian and you veered off the path, today's the day to make that right. You know, after we finish with the invitation, we're going to ask the Woods and the Fordham family to come forward, and then we're going to have the deacons lay hands, and anyone else that wants to come forward, I'm not worried about fire code at this point. Anybody that wants to lay hand on somebody else can come forward, and we're going to pray for this family, and we're going to pray for this precious baby girl. But I want to tell you this last thing, and I'm not surprised these words came. But before the service started, I went to hug Jensie's neck, and here's what she said to me. I'm so grateful for these people and the love and support they've shown me. But I pray that through this, God is going to bring someone in this room to salvation today. That's what God does. He'll take, he'll take the brokenness of one situation and from that, bring the fruit of salvation of many. So if you're here today to support a family and through the word you're being convicted, give your life to Jesus and prove that you have genuine faith. Let's pray. Father, again, we love you. As I look out at this room, there are a lot of people in this room, even visitors that I care very much about, and yet you love them a whole lot more than I do. So, Father, I pray right now in this room that you would have your way with us. I pray that the precious Holy Spirit would saturate this sanctuary right now, that you would remove hearts of stone and replace them with hearts of flesh. For those that are your sheep that have gone wayward, Father, I pray the good shepherd right now would bring them back on the right path. And for those who are goats and not sheep, right now, Father, open their eyes. By your power and for your glory, let them see that they need to be saved and to give their life to the Lord Jesus. 
Father, I just pray that you would be glorified by those in this room that have genuine faith and that our love for you would be expressed in a way that would give us joy and give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.